Well, we are back in the book of 2 Corinthians again today, and before we read our text, which is chapter 3, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 23, through chapter uh, 2, verse 4, before I read that, let me remind you, guys, the men's retreat is coming up this Friday and Saturday, and so I hope that you will sign up and be a part of that. we got a good core group already, but there's definitely many more of you guys who uh, should come. It's going to be a great time, and I promise you that you're going to be challenged from God's Word, and you're going to enjoy the community with other guys and the believers, and so you will not be disappointed. And It'll just be great to get away. We'll just be out at Lake Seminole, not far away. I know some of you will be tempted to come out and do the sessions and leave and not spend the night. That's a lot of the fun, right? But if you need to do that, do that. But we want you to be there, and the schedule is on the little card in the lobby if you'd like a copy of that. And that, that might help you out as you're planning your weekend. So we're in chapter 1, verse 23. And just to remind you why we go into chapter 2, verse 2 through 4, or 1 through 4, is because in the original manuscripts, Paul would not have put a chapter break here. He would have just continued to write. So chapter breaks were something that we've added so we can find our text and we can navigate and know where we're at. So that's why we will just read this entire passage. So Chapter, 20, chapter 1, I don't know why I keep saying the wrong chapter there. Chapter 1, verse uh, 23. Let's read that. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. For your, you stand firm in your faith. Verse 1. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I caused you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did, so that when I come, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Let's pray and we'll look at this text. Father God, this is your word given to us. God, to, to give us spiritual life, to sustain spiritual life, to glorify us, God, you give us your word and the power and the truth that's in it so that we can know Jesus, have a relationship with him. God, I pray you'll help us today just to be able to still our hearts, still our minds, and God, focus the short period of time upon the word that we desperately need uh, in order to live the way you called us to live in this world. God, I pray that you will just uh, help those who have distractions in here, have a lot going on, in their lives, God, I pray that today will be a time to just help them recenter upon Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. I heard a silly joke the other day, and I don't tell jokes a lot because I'm not a joke teller. Leave that to John Crisp, right? But uh, I, I heard about three guys who were stranded on a small island in the Pacific, and they were there for some period of time, and a bottle wash, washed up on the shore. And one of the guys went and grabbed it, he looked at it, he removed the cork, and out pops a genie. And the genie says, I will give each of you one wish apiece. And the first guy, without hesitation, he says, I went off this island, I want to be back with my friends. He was gone. 
bottle falls to the ground. The second guy picks it up. He's like, hey, I want the same thing that other guy wanted. All right, and boom, he was gone off the island. The third guy, not known for his keen sense of intellect, picked up the bottle, and he said, I'm so lonely, I want my friends back, right? <laughs> Thank you for that laugh, yes. So um, the point of this is the church at Corinth wanted Paul back. It wasn't the best decision to have Paul come back. As we just read in our text, you hear the word a lot, pain, and you hear joy, because it was for pain if Paul was to come back. So Paul says, this is not a wise request right now. I'm not going to return to you. And so they're upset. They're not sure about Paul. There's others who are working this for their own betterment, for their agenda, trying to say Paul is not dependable. He's not a man of integrity. And so he's stirring up the church. So what is Paul's per, uh, position here? Why does Paul not want to go back to the church? Well, it's for a very noble reason. He says, it's time to give you space and let the Holy Spirit do the work in your heart. And as we know, Paul was very much about this church. He was very involved. He started this church. But he realizes now is the time to back off and let the Spirit work. And that can be difficult. And sometimes we are guilty of that. Think about maybe in your marriage or in a relationship that you're push, 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 and it doesn't go anywhere. One day a car broke down out here in front of the, the house, and, and I went out to help push the car out of the way for the lady, and she was in the driver's seat, and I got behind it, and it was a slight down slope into that parking lot with that practice field there, and so I thought, this is no problem. I can easily push this car out of the way, and so I begin to push, and nothing happens. I mean, literally, I'm, I'm shoving as hard as I can. I'm like, whoa, I'm getting weak, all right? So let me, let's try this again. All right, more effort, and I'm like yelling at the lady, okay, here we go, and nothing. It's just just stuck. It's, it's still. And finally, I'm like, I know that I can move this car a little bit at least. And I, and I was like, excuse me, do you have your foot on that brake? And she's, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, you know, I do. I do. Right. <laughs> and that's the way oftentimes we are trying to work in people's life. And we're pushing, pushing, pushing. And it's going nowhere because they have their foot on the brake. And it's time that we just step back and let the Holy Spirit work. Let grace do its work. Let God work in the hearts of those who are redeemed. So a little recap for 2 Corinthians. It's important to kind of be catch up to speed here. What's going on? Paul planted this church and he spent about 18 months there pouring into these people, discipling these people, raising up leaders. And then he leaves to go on and he hears a report that this church is a mess. Just not long after he's gone, these things are going crazy. It's corroding with factions. This group says, we're with Paul, we're with Apollos. This spiritual group says, we're with Jesus. And, and so they're all over the place. And then there's just horrible sexual immorality. There's worldliness. And there's people who are just acting uh, selfishly. They're looking out for only for themselves. They're not being loving. And so Paul wrote two letters, one that was lost. And we don't have a copy of it. It's gone. Obviously, it wasn't supposed to be in our Bibles, or we would have it. But then we get the book we call 1 Corinthians, where Paul writes and addresses these problems head on. We went through this book. They don't respond well to that, so Paul makes what's called in this text a painful visit to them. He goes, and it's a painful visit, and it's not just painful for them. It's painful for Paul, too, because he's not received well. They don't accept him. They don't listen to him. There's a lot of attention. And so Paul does something that a lot of people, especially men, often refuse to do in conflict. 
he retreated. He realized this is not the time to stand and fight. And Paul took damage. He did. They mocked him they, during that time period. The orators and those who had this you know, great uh, charisma and could stand up and control an audience and, and just present their philosophical ideas. These were what was going on and was popular in Corinth. Well, Paul was not a very great orator. He was a small man, and they actually made fun of his, his appearance. They made fun of the way that he reacted. So he left. He returns to Ephesus, and then he writes another letter, which he refers to here in this text, verse 4 of chapter 2, as the severe or sorrowful letter. Look at verse 4. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. So Paul's heart was broken for these people. He loved these people. He poured his life into these people, and they lived in this just horribly heathenistic culture. Just everywhere around them, people were just living for their carnal flesh and for their self, and there was just so much evil going on in the city of Corinth. And here this church was founded to be what Jesus said they should be. They should be a light to the world. They should be salt to the culture. But yet they were living their lives just like everyone else. They were just being mixed up in problems and sanctified problems, right? They were in their church, but it was the same behaviors on a smaller scale that were going on in their culture. And so Paul's letter, his severe letter, received a mixed reception again. And he sent them a message saying that he would be coming soon. And then he sent them another message saying that maybe he wasn't coming soon. And so that made matters even worse. And we saw last week that Paul spent a great deal of time in our text this past Sunday defending his integrity and, and saying that these super apostles, as we'll see he'll call them later, these people were causing him trouble. And Paul changed his, his plans, yes, but they were trying to discredit him and to make Paul look like, you can't trust this guy. If you can't trust what he says about his itinerary, you can't trust anything he's told you. Don't follow Paul. Don't follow him. And so we see today, Paul actually now gets to the reasons why he did not visit the church, why he changed his itinerary. And we see in verse 23 that his change in itinerary, itinerary was for their good. It was not a result of his unstable character or his divided heart. Paul had good reasons and what did he say that was? Verse 23, but I call on God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Verse 24, and not that we lorded over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. So Paul waits down to verse 23 and 24 before finally giving them the reasons. Why? Because he's building the theological basis for why they can trust him and for his integrity, for his reliability. So Paul lays out the truth, and now he's going to give them the reasons. And, he's, and, and before he says the reason, he says, I call God to witness against me. It's almost like Paul felt like he was on trial with these Corinthians. And Paul was being put on the spot. And he says, I call God to witness against me. If I'm not being truthful, I'm asking God to come and confirm this. He's not going to bring God into this, obviously, if he's not telling the truth. So he's affirming, he's saying, this is true. The reason I didn't come, number one, was to spare them, to spare you, he says. But I call on God to witness against me. I was to spare you. What is that about? Was Paul just throwing threats out to the church? No, he's saying, look, this is a serious matter, what's going on here, 
and I did not come because to not to spare you could have looked really, really bad, right? It could look terrible. In fact, Paul references this back in 1 Corinthians when dealing with a guy within the Corinthian church when he said that they were to hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. That sounds pretty serious, right? Somebody calls in trouble in the church. We say, let's hand that person over to Satan, right? We don't say that, right? There's times we probably should say that. What does that mean? What is he talking about? Well, at the, the least, he's talking about we're going to throw that guy out of the church. And maybe you've been a part of church where there's been church discipline and it's been required, you know, because of some behavior or some circumstance where someone's been, said, been told not to come back. And that's a hard thing to go through. But in Paul's culture, in his time, it would have been a lot more severe than it would be now because most of the time they're like, well, I don't want to be there anyway, right? I'm just going to go down to the other church. And the other church more than likely is going to accept them with arms wide open regardless of the sin or what's happened in their life. But that's not the way that it was during Paul's time because in Paul's time, either there was just one church in Corinthian or in Corinth or there was a, a very close-knit group of house churches there. And so to excommunicate that person from the church would have been to put them out of the church completely. And so he's sending them out, this person out into the world. Go, you're no longer a part of this community you're now out in the world and dealing with whatever Satan wants to throw at you where you don't have the support of the church body. And I think we underestimate on our, during our day and time the importance of the church and the, the truth that, that we help spur each other on, as Hebrews says, and encourage one another in order that we stand strong in the faith. We need one another. That's why we do K-groups. That's why we have Fight Club because we need each other to help each other because we're blind to our own blindness. We don't see what we don't see, right? And then also, we can fall into patterns where we just want to live whatever way we want to live and do whatever we want to do. And there's probably going on in this room right now that very thing for some people. And it's a big deal to say, I'm turning you over to Satan. I'm dismissing you from this body, Paul said. That, that's what his M.O., often was. But in this case, he says, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to spare you. Or what else could Paul be talking about? Spare them from what? I think sometimes we forget the power that Paul had on his life, because we think about Jesus, and we think about the disciples, and we remember times when they did pretty miraculous things. But you may have forgotten that Paul did some pretty amazing miracles. Paul raised a guy from the dead. And in Acts chapter 13, look at this narrative with me, with this, this story. It says, Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he looked the sorcerer in the eye. Then he said, you son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud, the enemy of all that is good, will you never stop perverting the true way of the Lord? Watch now, for the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you. And you will be struck blind. You will not see the sunlight for some time. Instantly, mist and darkness came over the man's eyes. And he'd been groping around, begging for someone to take his hand and to lead him. Wow, that's power. That's serious, serious supernatural power that God gave Paul to do and perform that. And so I think the church of Corinth, when Paul reminds them of his authority, and he says, I'm not coming because I'm going to spare you I'm sure some of them in this church were like, 
Glad he's not coming. If he, he, was, if he came and he was serious about church discipline, then bad things were going to happen, right? But Paul says, I'm not coming at this point because as an act of grace, I want you to repent. I want you to see your sin and on your own come to the place where the Holy Spirit's working in you, where you come to repentance. And then the second thing Paul says in this verse, he says, he has no desire to dominate them, to tell them what to do or think or control their faith. Look at verse 24 again. He says, not that we lord it over your faith. So Paul didn't want to come because, again, he wanted the Spirit, the time to work. Paul was a big personality. He was an apostle. He had a lot of authority when he came into the church. He could uh, obviously command and do things that maybe we can't really comprehend based upon our 21st century way of thinking. But Paul had a lot of authority to do the things that needed to be done in these churches that he started and in the church in general. But he says, I'm not going to come and lord over your faith. I'm not going to use my apostolic authority in this case. And Paul kept in step with the Spirit. He says, remember he told us back in chapter we saw this in verse 21 and 22 where he says that the God who establishes us with you in Christ has anointed us. He says he's put the seal on us and given us both the Holy Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So Paul acknowledges that the church, the people within the congregation, they, those who were redeemed, the true believers, had the same spirit that Paul had. The same Holy Spirit lived within them. They were united with Christ. They were connected with Christ. They were sealed with the Holy Spirit. And Paul says in Ephesians, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You're sealed with him until the day of redemption. And so Paul is making the case that, look, if you're questioning my authenticity, we said last week, if you're questioning my motives and, my, and, and why I'm saying the things I'm saying, check your own heart too, because we have the same Holy Spirit here. Uh, both of us have the indwelling power of the Spirit, and the Spirit is leading me not to come. The Spirit has said to me, this is not the right time to come. The Spirit has led me to know that it's for your good and your joy that I don't come, and that I'm a person of integrity and honor because the Spirit lives within me. And so he's saying, look, this is a God thing. This is not a Paul thing, right? God is working in this, in this situation. Verse 24, again, not to lord it over you, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. Look at that verse for a second. What's it say at the end? He writes to the church at Corinth, a church that we know is a mess of a church, right? It's got so much problems, but he says that they stand firm in their faith. Paul's dealing with some seriously immature believers here. Yet he still writes and says, you stand firm in your faith. He's acknowledging the fact that there's genuine, real believers within this church even with all the chaos that's going on. And Paul told them back in 1 Corinthians, he, he, he confronted them about their immaturity when he wrote, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you're not ready. So Paul acknowledges their immaturity, but he says they stand firm in their faith. So Paul left room for messy Christians. Paul left room for grace to do its work. I don't know about you, but I don't have much patience for messy Christians. 
sadly, because it's not like Jesus not to have patience with messy Christians. But you know what? Not having patience with others who are messy is very, very prideful. Why? Because it's easy to see the mess in everybody else's life while being blind to the mess in our own life. We can have moral flaws in our own life, and yet we are quick to recognize those in others but not see them in ourselves. Why is that? And maybe you're in denial. Maybe you're thinking, well, I don't have that many problems. Think about your reactions when things don't go your way. Think about standing in line at Walmart, right? Think about driving or think about, uh, you know, when your kids back talk to you. Are you more concerned about their discipleship or are you more concerned about your pride and you making sure that they know who's in charge, right? There's so many ways that we can have this deceptive heart where we think that we are better than we really actually are. And here's some other areas. How about apathy? Just straight out apathy. Just coming to hear God's word, and the last thing on your heart is preparing your heart for his word to speak. Coming to the Lord's table and not even really celebrating the incredible gift of salvation that we have. It's like, I've done this before. I mean, these routines and these things that we can get caught up in, and we just have this apathetic heart. But yet, we're very good at seeing what's going on in everybody else's life. And we can get these, this terrible case of spiritual amnesia. We forget who we are in Christ, and we forget that what God has done for us in Christ and the fact that we stand firm in our faith, no matter how messy things get in our lives. God is for us because of Jesus. The Spirit lives within us. Do you believe that? Do you, do you believe that? Do you believe the Holy Spirit resides within you, and that at, when you came to Christ, as pictured in baptism, we died with Christ? In some way that we can't comprehend, we died with Christ. And then we rose again for his life to be working in and through us. And that our true significance is found in Jesus Christ above everything else. So far above everything else. Where do you find your significance? That's spiritual amnesia if you find your significance more upon telling people what your job is or what your, you know, what your career path is, what school you graduated from. Whatever it is, fill in the blank for you. Whatever you find your significance in, if it's not Jesus Christ, him crucified, risen again, then you have spiritual amnesia. You're not being aware of the fact that you stand firm in the faith. That your, your feet are firmly planted in Jesus, yet in some weird, crazy way, we're trying to run off here and do a bunch of other things and find our significance in a bunch of other things other than being rooted in Jesus Christ. And we have to constantly, as we say here, preach the gospel to ourselves because we will walk out of this room and in 10 minutes we'll forget that our identity in Christ is the most important thing about us. So as members of God's family, God has fully, completely accepted you. And sometimes our life is messy, but we don't say, God, please don't take my salvation away. God, I, I don't want to lose my salvation. Some of you grew up in churches where if you committed, I don't know what sin that is or how many sins that is, but if you did something, then your salvation was jerked away from you. You know what? You're building your life upon your 
efforts, your morality, not on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so Paul says, it's time for me to give the Spirit room to work in your life. He tells the church, the church is messy, and there's a lot of bad stuff going on there. And he says, I'm delaying because the Spirit's going to lead you to repentance. I'm going to give grace a chance to work. Look at verses 1 through 3 again. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. He already had the one painful visit. doesn't want to make another one. For if I cause, cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote also as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me, feel, me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. So what's Paul saying here? This is a mouthful, right? He's saying, I've caused enough pain by my earlier visit. I've confronted you with the truth of the gospel. I've confronted your sin. I've caused pain by the things I've written in the painful letter. But the Spirit has shown me that if I come again, I would just cause more pain. And that's going to be bad for me too, Paul says. Another visit, not where the Spirit is leading. When I hurt, he's saying, it's going to make all of us just feel bad. And it's going to bring all of us into a bad place. And he says, grace works. I'm going to let grace work in the heart of his children. His verses like Paul penned in Philippians 1.6, for I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Paul says, grace works. It's going to complete what he starts. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it's by grace that you've been saved. Grace works. In 2 Corinthians 9, we'll see some weeks from now, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. Grace works. Titus 2, 11 and 12, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. What does it do? Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Grace works. Grace works. For those K-groups who do sermon follow-up, I'm going to really ask you to take a dive into what biblical grace is all about because I think sometimes we only think of grace as God's unmerited favor, which that is huge, and that's amazing, and it's true. But it's so much more than just God letting us off the hook and not giving us the punishment that we deserved. And it's also more than just giving us the life of Christ, but he gives us the practical help to live for his glory. It enables us to live what he's asked us to live and do the things that he's asked us to do. Grace is robust. It's incredible. And I think we can spend our entire Christian lives trying to understand through the word what this word grace really encompasses, and it's way bigger than any of us can even imagine. Grace. Grace. God's grace. Jerry Bridges says this, God's grace is not given to make us feel better, but to glorify him. Good feelings may come, and they may not, but that is not the issue. The issue is whether or not we honor God by the way we respond to our circumstances. And that's 
God's grace. The ability to say, you know what, grace is not just a good feeling I have that God's like, oh, thank you, God. Like, you're so nice to me, right? That is not the extent of grace. And I think sometimes we feel like that's grace. Like, God, thank you for not, like, punishing me when I deserve punishment. And we leave it at that, understanding, forgetting that grace enables us to be all that God has asked us to be in this world. God's grace. It's the power of God at work within you. I want to finish with Romans chapter 6, verse 1. When Paul was accused of preaching a gospel that allowed people just to live and do whatever they wanted to do, Paul, you're not preaching that we should be holy and righteous. You're giving people a license just to do whatever they want to do. This is dangerous stuff, this gospel of grace. And Paul starts off chapter 6 in this way. He says, Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound or grace may increase? He says, by, by no means, absolutely not. But where does he go next? Does he give them a list of, here's the law that you need to keep in order to be holy. Here's the things you need to do. Absolutely not. He points us to who we are in Christ. He says, how can we, who died to sin, still live in it? You see what he does? He goes to the heart of our identity in Christ. He says, you don't sin because that's not who you are anymore. All right? Yeah, you, you sin, you, you, you do have sin problem. You still commit sin, but you don't live in sin. You don't say, I'm going to make my residency in sin. I'm just going to live here and just be comfortable in this. This is not who you are. A believer, somebody who Christ has moved into their life, into their heart, given them the Holy Spirit, they don't make peace with sin. They make war with sin. And so are we going to continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Absolutely not. Why, Paul? Because those who died to sin don't live in it. You don't live there any longer. Something fundamentally has changed about your life, and you're not under the rule of sin any longer. So that's why Paul can say, I'm not coming. Messy church, I'm not coming. Because you have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will do his work. And the Lord led Paul to that place where he knew they needed time to repent. They needed time for the God's grace just to, to soak over them. They've had the truth. They've been given the truth. They've been given letters of the truth. But now was the time for them to allow the Spirit just to work in them and let them be who God has called them to be and told them they are in Christ. So what about you? Are you allowing grace to work? Or you got your foot on the brake, right? That's possible. You can have your foot on the brake. In this way of paradox that God works within us, that he does the work, but yet we have responsibility in this matter. He's working. He's going to complete what he started, but this sanctification process, this, pro this process of being conformed into the image of Christ, you can put your foot on the brake. Do you have your foot on the brake? If you do... I will tell you there's no joy there for any length of time. There's no victory. There's no feeling like God is at work in you, of course, because you're miserable. You're miserable in that situation. And so the head application we just got to believe today is this, that God's grace is working in the heart of his children. Your, your heart, not somebody else, your heart. God is working in your heart, your life. And grace will expose the deepest issues of your heart.
but he ain't going to leave you there, right? The Holy Spirit's not going to leave you in that condition. He's going to take you, and he's going to point you to the cross. He's going to point you to Jesus. He says, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, look at Jesus. And so, how do we respond? Hebrews 4, 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of what? The throne of grace. Find the help we need. Not to get our way, but to live God's way. Will you allow grace to do its work in your life today? Or maybe for you, I mean, you take one step back. It's by grace you've been saved. Maybe you've been putting your efforts and your work and you're thinking, God, if I can just do enough and earn it, or I hope one day I'll get there and, you know, you put my good and bad and the good tips the scales and I'm in, right? And that's the way you've been thinking. And that's the way you've been raised, maybe. That's not the gospel of Scripture. The gospel is, it's by grace that you're saved, through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest we boast and brag and think we've done something. It's all God and His work. Let's approach with confidence the throne of grace to find the help that we need. Take your foot off the brake. Let God do His work. Father God, we thank you for your word that gives us life and truth. God, we admit that sometimes we question grace because it seems so scandalous, as one person wrote. It seems so uh, just antithetical to just the way that we think and the way that we live our lives, that you would just uh, give us everything we need through who you are. And God, I pray that we will truly, truly believe what you've done for us on the cross in the empty grave the life that you put inside of us. And God, I pray that we will go fully against, uh, 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 on war against sin, against the devil's schemes. God, help us to be aware of the way that he's trying to trip us up, the accuser of the brethren who's telling us that you are not good, that you can't be trusted. God, help us to see in the power of Jesus that these are lies. And God, help us to remember our significance and our identity is found in you and you alone. And God, even during this time of the Lord's Supper, God, I pray that you will allow us to just realize the incredible victory that we have in Jesus. And God, help us to reflect and pray and thank you for the cross and for what you suffered and died. And it cost you so much for what we get so free. In Jesus' name we pray.